2: Welcome, everybody, to the Game Plan Podcast, Inside Carolina's premier preview show. Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com is our sponsor. It is the game plan that means. That's Jason Staples. That means that's Greg Barnes. And I'm, I'm – who am I and what am I doing here sometimes? Greg, I'll get you first since Jason and I have already been chatting a little bit. Carolina goes to Virginia. We kind of talked about it um, with David Till yesterday on Next Level. It's been sort of the house of horrors up there at Virginia. Mac wasn't trying to hear it. Don't blame him. Um, this is a big football game. I said last week's was the biggest game in MAC 2.0. I'm not there with this one yet. Might be by the end of this podcast. What's your take on overall take on Carolina going up to Virginia to get a win? They need to to get to sort of solidify that coastal.
0: Well, look, uh, some of these games are just easy, and what I mean by that is matchups matter. We've talked about that a lot over the years. And I really just think regardless of the ghosts that may reside at Scott Stadium, uh, the matchup really just works in North Carolina's favor here. And we can, we can dive into that, but uh, Tony Elliott has come in, kind of put a stamp on on the program and it's not what people had expected, especially with a a quarterback like Brennan Armstrong coming back. Uh, The, the offense has taken a step back. The defense has gotten a lot better, Uh, but that is a work in progress. And North Carolina is still a work in progress. Uh, But Carolina has figured out how to win on the road. They've done a lot of good things this year. they won a lot of close games. They have a lot of momentum on their side. Uh, And I I do think it's interesting. Mack Brown has not just downplayed, but has been a little bit brisk when people have brought up the 96 game. Uh, which means it still it still kind of gets to him, right? Which I mean, it still gets the Carolina fans. So I totally <laughs> get it. Um, but that that's one uh, that that speaks to the power of sports, Tommy, because that game happened uh, my freshman year of college, and I've got a 16 year old that we had a meeting with a college counselor last night, getting him ready for college. That's how long ago that game was and yet it affects everybody that watched it and that knows about it whenever Carolina goes to Charlottesville. Uh, that speaks to how special sports are. That speaks to the, the power that the curse had over, over Chapel Hill. But the curse is, is long gone. It's been dead for a while, and even though that's still a tough place to play for Carolina, uh, I think they have a lot of things working in their favor this year.
2: Jason, to Max point, um, at preseason or at the earlier in the week press conferences, I mean, a lot of times they went up there and Virginia has some good ball clubs. Virginia Tech, too, for that matter, uh, you know, over the years. Um, to Greg's point, here tonight, that is not really the case, um, and we'll dig into it, but Virginia's got some players. They're virtually the same players except on the offensive line that they had last year. The defense – has gotten a couple of transfers, but they've gone from being terrible to solid. Um, what do you make of the coaching changes and how they affect teams in general? Uh, I mean, it's just weird how it works, right? Some teams improve, some teams don't, some units improve, some don't. I mean, what's going on here at Virginia?
1: Well, So much of it is about fit and about what different coaches bring to the table in terms of what they do best and what the players on their roster do best. And so, you know, I think a lot of that is, I mean, you can see that in, in several of the teams this year that, are, that it's really visible. So if you look at Miami, for example, uh, you know, as everybody knows, I'm, I'll am i go out of my way to kick Miami when they're down. Um, and boy, have they been down so far. So, uh, but I mean, you look at crystal ball coming in and, a lot of people expected, you know, thought that was a splash hire. He's a guy that's been able to recruit really, really well at different places and all that. And they obviously had a really good offense last year. And all and, and they bring in a a, a former the guy that's fresh off winning a, you know, coordinator of the year last year. And all of a sudden their offense is just terrible. And you're like, "Well, what's going on there?" Well, a lot of it as we saw when Carolina played Miami is the things that they're trying to do don't match up as well with the talent on that roster on that side of the ball is what they were doing last year. And on the flip side, on the defensive side, they're pretty good. So, you know, in it, it, the same thing is going on right now in Virginia where I think last year they had one of the best offensive coordinators in the country in terms of being able to be creative, use the talent that's on the roster, move guys around. I mean, if you look at last year's team for, for, uh, for Virginia, one of the things that was most evident was how they used, uh, 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 Thompson, you know, they, they even listed him as a football player, right. Not as a, not as a wide receiver, not as he's just a football player because they put him all over the place. He'd take snaps at quarterback. He'd take snaps at the back in the backfield. He takes snaps at, you know, tight end at you know, H back at, wide receiver, whatever, because they were doing everything they could to creatively maximize their offensive talent. And they just, it was, you know, throw everything else out, find the, you know, six or seven things that work, do those, and then just move our football players around to try to get the matchups that'll help us in that moment. And now that coordinator, by the way, is at Syracuse. Syracuse offensively has been having a pretty good year, right? You know, at a certain point, multiple points make a line, (laughs) right? I mean, I think, I think he's, you've got some proof of concept with him as, as doing that. Elliot's a guy who, you know, when Tony Elliott took over at at Virginia, he he's taken over after what, a decade at, at Clemson and what going back, uh, he took over coordinator at, in what, 2014, 20, 2015, 2014 or 15, somewhere in there. Uh, And so you know about eight years there but clemson runs a you know they run a system they they have what they do and it's based on you know some basic scheme principles or whatever but these are the things that they do they know what they're going to do they know their basics and they don't move a ton of stuff around it's basically designed to let their guys just win one-on-ones and play fast well if you've got a bunch of T Higginses and Sammy Watkins and uh, you know Travis Etienne and and uh, you know an elf a real life elf running around out there throwing darts then yeah that can work pretty well. Well when you get to when you get to Virginia and the talent on offense is nowhere near that especially on the offensive line now you're having to move stuff around and all that. And I'm not seeing any real evidence that they, that he's really doing anything different than what he did at Clemson. And that's, that's kind of what you got. It's, it's the the fit with a lot of what they have on the roster. And and the other thing is that they lost a lot of their offensive line. I think, what did they lose? I think five, all five offensive linemen. Yes. Oh, yep. That was I'll the go. other thing is those two things, the fit in terms of offensively between what he wants to do and what they have on the, on the roster and then the fact that they're replacing five offensive linemen and they're really not good up front. Well, there you you have your answer offensively on what what's been the problem. And defensively, it's just the attitude that they brought in, and and they've done they're, they're well coordinated and they've
0: they played pretty well. Tommy, just to give you a couple stats to explain what Jason's hitting on there, and these are total offense, total defense numbers. I know those numbers are irrelevant, but my stats sound better if we just go with these. Um, last year Virginia was third nationally in total offense they're currently 94th total defense last year they were 121st nationally they're 31st right now so I mean it's like it's wild Um, sometimes you see one side of the ball take a big jump or drop back We'll, we'll talk about that next week with Wake's defense for example but to see both sides of the line just go in completely opposite directions. Uh, it's crazy.
2: They ran a mesh route and they slapped hands on up going opposite directions there. Jason, uh, no offense, but Brian Evans wanted to ask a question, and I don't want to linger too long, but I don't want to hurt you too bad. Is the '96 Carolina game at Virginia, Carolina's wide right moment? You mentioned Florida State and Miami. Ooh, I was just checking that. I think it might be. I was just checking. I thought it might. Uh, I don't want to get you stirred up yet. No, I think Listen. it might
1: be. I mean, it really might be. If it's not, it's the wide left.
2: <laughs> let me ask a question here, staying on this same topic, because I think it's relevant to Carolina and, and what Gene Chiswick's done, and I'm going to bring it up. It's Slagle. Slagle's always asking the questions. And, Greg, I'll let you start with it. Good coaches adapt their system to the players they have. It is not that simple. Is it not? I mean, there are not too many college football coaches that go around um, with the way they do things and, that you know, they just change it all the time. These guys are setting their ways for the most part, right?
0: Well, they are, and they kind of have to be um, because you only have 20 hours a week with the kids. And so the challenge is you've got to figure out your, your film room study. You've got to figure out practice time, uh, and you've got to get all that worked out. And with the number of guys that you have, I mean, like at the NFL level, you can build a brand new offense or defense for the most part in the offseason because you have plenty of time to do that. And you can scheme hours upon hours upon hours with your team in the preseason, even during the week if you have to. You cannot do that at the college level. So that's one of the things that the big shift, we were talking about it earlier today on the message boards, you know, when how mommy. And Mike Leach showed up from Valdosta State at Kentucky in 1997. That was really one of the key points that changed how football is played. It's kind of the new modern era, if you will, uh, because you, you start getting into minimizing the number of play calls and you get into concepts. So you know, we talked about that a lot, you know, both Longo and Fedora. You only want to be able to call so many certain plays. Uh, that's because you want your guys to perfect the plays that they're working on. You don't have enough time if you've got a hundred different plays in your playbook to perfect them at this level, just because of the, the hours involved. Uh, and so it's much easier. And you see this in basketball, Roy Williams always ran the same scheme, right? He, he made minor adjustments. So you can do that, but the shell is always going to be the same for the most part. And within that shell, you have opportunities because you know what you have coming out of spring ball. You can make changes like that. Uh, but a lot of these coaches pretty much are who they are. And so they're, the guys that can make adjustments during game week and at halftime are the ones that have a lot of success. Yeah, I, I found it interesting. Last couple of years, we had a lot of conversations about Jay Bateman doing a good job once he got to halftime. And he can make some changes. Well, what's the conversation right now about Gene Chizik? You look at what they've done in the last month. They've been really good in the second half. Uh, and so that's really where it comes in. It's not a matter of building, rebuilding your scheme each year for each set of players that you have. You recruit to your scheme. But then it's really that the guys that can adjust on the fly and make minor changes uh, that allow them to get better. Gene had a lot of issues the first month of the season in making any kind of changes. He wasn't good at anything. And so what we've seen the last couple of weeks, if they've made enough changes, while they're not good at everything, they're getting better at certain things. And that's why you're seeing a little bit better play from the defense.
2: Yeah, and certainly injuries will play. It would be interesting to see how injuries affect things. Let me throw a question up here from Bull Hill, um, and we are going to get into Virginia itself um, shortly. But, Jason, are we starting to believe the defense is turning the quarter corner? If so, what are the reasons? I'll offer that. They've, they've picked something, to Greg's point. they picked something to do, and that will stop the run. I wonder how injuries to both – well, three of the four starters on that defensive front, to be if you count Ray Vahasic, um, will affect things. But is the defense turning a corner, Jason, from what you've seen, breaking down film, all that good stuff?
1: Well, so the problem is I think they, they kind of turned a corner this last week against Pitt in certain respects, but I'm not sure whether they can sustain the turn given the losses to injury that they just had. So, I mean, I'm still, I'm still waiting to kind of see what things are going to look like without that extra depth and without some really key players on the edge. So, I mean, that's a concern and yeah, I just don't, um, uh, I don't know what the answer is or what it's going to look like moving or going forward. I mean, that's going to be, that's the question. Um, And a lot of folks out there are going to have as good a guess as me. But I think in the other areas, uh, I think the defense has looked significantly better. Uh, I think on some of the things that I nitpicked early in the year that were just really frustrating for me to see on film, I think some of those things have been significantly better the last few weeks. And especially on the defensive line, there's been uh there's been some better fundamentals and there's been some guys that have made some splash plays. I mean, you mentioned, you know, they've had four or five guys at, at you know, in any one game that have made some some plays in the backfield. Rucker, you've had I think uh Miles Murphy's gotten healthier. Uh I think this last week was the best we've seen uh Javari Ritzy play. Both fundamentally and in terms of being able to make some make some actual plays, uh, so they I think there's been some some positive progress there. I think that the linebackers have actually played better the last couple of weeks than they had before, though they didn't play against teams that really stressed them as much. Uh, with you know Miami and Pitt, they're you know just running the football on you. You got to trigger downhill and play that way, but they're not putting as much pressure on you in certain other areas. Um. So yeah, I think it's been a bit of a it's been a bit of a mix, but overall they've they've definitely taken a step forward or a couple steps forward and uh you compare what we're seeing now from or you compare that to say the app state game. Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And you know, it's night and day. So uh yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a pretty significant pretty significant difference. So again, I think there's been some significant progress I'm concerned about some of the some of about how some of those losses are going to, are going to impact things. Uh, but the good thing is that, I mean, if there is a good thing here, uh, those losses are at spots where there's some depth. So, I mean, that's the, that's the good part.
0: Yeah. And Tommy, we need to kind of parse the details a little bit here. Um, had a lot of conversations on, on the message board with, with fans who, or just looking at kind of the raw numbers um, and you got to be careful when you're trying to decide, okay, is the defense getting better? Well, to Jason's point, yes, the defense is getting better. How much better? And that's where you kind of have to be careful because you have to really take into account level of competition, special level of, of the uh, offense that, the, that North Carolina has been playing. Um, I think people would probably be surprised to, to know that uh, when you look at defensive drive efficiency, which is that this, you know, per-possession scoring advantage a unit has against this opponent. The last three games, North Carolina has been negative defensively. And people say, well, how can that be? Well, Virginia Tech game, they were great. But Virginia Tech's offense is bad. But even though Carolina held them to to 10 points, uh, it wasn't like some miraculous defensive performance. It was good. It wasn't fantastic. But like the Duke game, for example, that was – In terms of efficiency, that was Carolina's third worst defensive performance of the year. Uh, And they, as I said, they've had negative totals the last three games because Pittsburgh is a good example. They really weren't good in terms of efficiency the first eight possessions that Pitt had. Pitt was averaging three points per possession through the first eight. That's not good. That's like a team starting at midfield every possession. But the last four, Carolina was great. And so fans just see that and say, oh, yeah, well, they're dramatically better. Yeah, they played the second half fantastically. Give them a lot of credit. Um, and the problem for this defense, we'll say a problem and we'll say a benefit uh, or a positive. The problem is, is that all the metrics that we talk about, there's not many opportunities left on the schedule for this defense to make a huge jump because really the only good offense they play remaining is Wake Forest. In terms of efficiency, Virginia, NC State, Georgia Tech are all 90th or worse. And so Carolina pretty much has to hold those teams like 10 points like they did Virginia Tech to get a good boost. Um, And so I say all that, uh, and and the positive, of course, there is because the offenses aren't very good other than the wake, the defense is not going to be as stressed as maybe they were against App State or Notre Dame. That's a good thing because that means that The defense doesn't have to be great. They can just be average and it'll be enough for for Drake May. Uh, But I say that just so people kind of understand that, yeah, the numbers may look better. That doesn't necessarily mean the defense has gotten dramatically better. A lot of it's about the the quality of the opponent that they're playing. Um, And so I think you have to kind of take that in when you're trying to get a full account. Is the defense getting better? Yes, for sure. They've cleaned up a lot of things, but this still is not, in elite defense. I mean, in terms of defensive, defensive drive efficiency, Carolina currently is 12th in ACC play. Uh, so still near the bottom ranks, but those numbers still look a lot better than they did against Notre Dame and App State.
2: Y'all mentioned App State. There was a lot of patty cake being played on defensive front against <laughs> App State. And that hadn't been the case, especially not when it game came down to crunch time against Pittsburgh.
1: Uh, even when they were giving one. up even when they were giving up points against Pitt it was not because they were just playing patty cake patty cake up front right? yeah. they were still getting some penetration they were still you know they're, they're still playing better up front sometimes you just give up plays and they gave up a bunch of plays in the secondary and some of that right now I'm not sure is all that fixable at least in the season but up front it's a pretty big difference I mean it's a noticeable difference they are playing
2: like we expected them to play when we were talking about this stuff in August. Let me ask you, Jason, last point on this, and then we'll get down into specifics with Carolina Virginia. People are talking about, oh, we're excited to see Travis Shaw get more shot, uh, uh, snaps, Rucker get more snaps. W- one thing about having that depth is the guys can play 40 snaps or 30 snaps at full 100% capacity. With guys start going out – You know, we don't know where the line is where people start declining on. If I play 50 snaps, I'm good. If I play 60 snaps, I'm probably falling off on my ability. How do you see this shaking out as far as snap counts now, Jason, um, with who's out there? I mean, Jacoby Cowan's played well. Everybody talks about KBJ and Keyshawn Silver. Um, Travis Shaw and all these guys. Chris Collins is going to have to play a ton. There. Somebody said in the chat the starters weren't very good when they were out there. Okay. Noah Taylor and Des Evans, those defenses when they were playing were not great. But it's it's not just about that, right? It's about everything that goes with putting snap counts on bodies um on that defensive front.
1: Yeah. I mean I, I don't think it's quite that simple because eating snaps matters and uh you know i thought actually those guys played reasonably well uh it's not that they were that that the guys behind him just played better uh biggest difference in the second half is that that carolina was able to to win a couple win a couple things downfield and slovis didn't make a couple of the throws that he made in the first half uh but you know defensively th- they actually handled things pretty well with those guys on the field in the in the uh in the first half and, and before they got hurt. So I don't want to say, Oh, well, you know, the, ba- the, the backups will be better. Cause I just don't think that's true. Um, although, I mean, again, I'll, I'll pound the table for, uh, for, for Kamin um, Rucker. Rucker. You know, I, I like, I like and Rucker a lot, but Kamin Rucker playing 40 snaps is going to be a lot better than and Rucker playing 60 snaps, you know, and that, that's a pretty big difference. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of a difference this makes on the interior as much in terms of where those snaps go. I think the biggest difference, and we saw this in this game is you're going to have to see Ritzy playing a lot more on the edge uh, at that big end spot, sharing time with Rucker instead of that being uh, Rucker and, uh, and Des Evans, you're going to see Ritzy there playing more there. So you'll see a little bit more size on the field at different points with him out there. Although, I mean, it's not like Evans is small. Uh, but Ritzy will will get more time on the edge. That's going to make room for another defensive tackle. You know whether that's Silver, whether that's I think Bingley Jones is probably the next guy up right now, given given how you know certain guys, given health and all of that. Uh, you'll probably see Bingley Jones get some more reps. You know ten or fifteen reps on the inside. You'll see Travis Shaw get an additional five or six reps, maybe m- maybe ten reps in a given game uh, as a result of that. And, you know, Hamrick is going to have to play on the other side as well. So that you're just going to see, I think. Collins reps are basically going to you're going to add a third to his and then Hamrick is going to have to play. is going to have to handle the rest of those. And then, you know, basically. Uh, you're going to see Rucker and, and Ritzy more splitting time at that big end spot. And then a few other, a few others get more time in there. Cowan is another one. Jacoby Cowan will get some time.
2: Yeah, and, and Rucker, you know, is still on the injury report, so we, and, we shall see. Somebody ask about Rucker being one hundred percent.
0: Yeah, and, and Tommy, there, there's there's legitimate reasons to uh, be critical of coaches at all levels because they're human; they make mistakes. Uh, you know, we can talk about schemes and what fits best, all those things. I don't think we have any room to really talk about who's the best player, who should be playing. Um, These guys watch their players every day in practice. They've seen them for dozens and dozens and dozens of practices throughout their careers that we have not. They knew who the best players are. I think it's very easy to be captivated by Kamon Rucker, who, look, some of his moves are phenomenal. I think we can all agree on that. Um, But there's something – in practice, where maybe he's got splash plays, but some of his other plays aren't up to par. And you've got a way, okay, are we going with consistency or just a splash plays? I don't know what that is, but the coaches do. Um, and so I think really, I think both you guys hit on on the key point here. Uh, forget about really who's starting. I, I think you know the guys who play the most are the guys who the coaches think should play the most. But depth is so critically important because we talked about it just a few years ago, when you've got two of your key hogs up front playing the majority of snaps, it's not sustainable. But when you have injuries and you have depth, you can at least kind of fill in. And because you haven't had to rely on guys so much throughout the course of the year, you can mitigate it a little bit. You still don't want to have injuries where you have to plug in. Uh, But as long as you have that depth and you can pull from that depth, you're much better off instead of relying on just some guy. So, Carolina, from that standpoint, in terms of roster management, has come a long way than they were just four years ago. Uh, this this right now helps them with the injuries, but also helps moving forward.
1: Greg, you can't be serious because, I mean, if these coaches really wanted to win, they would play the freshman.
0: Well, I mean, Travis Shaw for sure, right?
1: Yeah, Travis Shaw and Zach Rice should be playing – a hundred snaps a game a piece at, you know, multiple positions, just that's the way it is. Cause if they really wanted to win, those guys are five stars and you got to play your five stars, no matter what, cause that's, that's just how you win. I, I do
2: think that the point about splash plays versus consistency, and it's not just Rucker. I mean, if you got a guy that goes out there, Cameron Rucker has been great, but if you've got a guy that goes out there and gets it done for five snaps, can you get it done for 30 snaps or 35 snaps or 40 snaps? And that's the one thing that I thought was incredible with Strobridge and Crawford is those dudes were playing 80 and there was very little drop off from them throughout the game. They were gassed. Um, But the faith of not playing anybody or the lack of faith to not play anybody else. When those guys had that many snaps on them, Depp max said it in the presser. This is where recruiting comes in handy, and uh, we'll see because they they got the bodies. That's one thing. There have been cases where Carolina football did not have the bodies to put out there, and they put out a two hundred and twenty pound. Uh, who was it? I can't remember the guy's name. It, it was I can't remember. I don't want to call the wrong name. Um, it, it just gets destroyed when he's not ready to play. It was years ago, folks. So don't. Think Kendall I'm High. You. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He uh I mean it was just ugly. And he
0: was yeah, two two fifty and he wasn't any more than two forty, I think.
2: <laughs> and he was just getting just getting killed Most out there states. because he yeah. you know. but anyway. Um I think depth um will be an issue. I don't know if it'll be an issue this week, but I'm gonna talk about Johnny T-shirt and then we're gonna talk about the game plan specifically against Virginia, because I think there's some things in here for folks to watch. But Johnny T-shirt and Johnny dot com, great sponsors of the podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina. Go take care of them on East Franklin Street. Get the jerseys, the t shirts, the sweatshirts, the blankets, stickers, anything you could possibly want from Johnny T shirt. They're alumni owned and operated. Great friends of you guys, the premium subscribers. Get the 10% off. You need it. It's Christmas time. God, is it already Christmas time? I heard that we were putting Christmas trees up in our house in a couple of weeks which seems ridiculous. Uh, But yeah, Johnny T-Shirt will take care of your Christmas gifts for everybody. National Guys will play the bills. It's game plan on Thursday night.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey
2: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. All right. Jason Staples, Greg Barnes, 937 on the East Coast. It is the Game Plan podcast. Let's talk specifically about Virginia here. And Greg, I'll start with you and then we can kind of go back and forth with it. Virginia's offense. I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback go from being a flat out one of the best in the country uh, to looking like at times he's never thrown a football before. But the point about <laughs> the point about the offensive line for Virginia and all of those guys leaving is a valid question. They didn't score a touchdown last week. I don't think I've ever seen a college football game. Uh, that I watched any part of it, that there were no touchdowns scored, and it went to double overtime. Uh, but Virginia, your take on Virginia's offense and this Carolina defense that we think is improving?
0: Yeah, well, as David Till told us, Tommy, it just hasn't clicked yet for what Tony <laughs> Elliott's wanting to do. Uh, and what? yeah, that I'd say that's a, that's an understatement, right? <laughs> um, some of some of the fascinating numbers. Yeah, look, the the entire offensive line uh, left. And I think maybe their top three guys coming back are all banged up. So they literally have had, like, nobody that has any experience playing. Still recruited, still coached up, still should be better than what they've been. But if you just look at Brennan Armstrong's numbers, um, if we look at some PFF stuff, last year his overall grade was a 91.8. 57 right now, Uh, which which is – Nuts. So uh, last year when he was kept clean, 91.8. When he was blitzed last year, 92.3. Really good. This year when he's kept clean, 66. When he's blitzed, down to 47. Uh, so we're talking about a 45%. That's almost 50%, guys, uh, drop, which is crazy. Here's the interesting thing, though. Uh, Brennan has struggled with some, some turnovers this year. If you look at what he did last year, he had 21 turnover-worthy plays. Represents 3.5% of his passes.
1: And
2: explain that. Explain that. What's a turnover-worthy play?
0: It's just a play where he throws it, and it's either intercepted or he throws it, and it should be intercepted. It's not a very smart play. Uh, you You get fumbles involved in there. So just a bad decision that can lead to a turnover, or maybe it doesn't. And then, of course, you have the big-time throws we've talked about with Drake, where they're tough throws, they're on the money. It's like NFL-quality passes. Um, So, last year, turnover-worthy plays, he had 21 of them, which is a lot. This year, he's on about the same track. He's got 15 of them. So, really about the same, but they've hurt him a lot worse this year because last year he had 35 big-time throws. This year he's got 11. (laughs) So his his worst has stayed about the same. He just is not having the success throwing the ball. Uh, you know, Robert and I, as Jason said earlier, is that Syracuse having a lot of success with that offense. So maybe that plays a role. Um, but he has he just really struggled. And he's, as you said earlier, Tommy, he's got a, a ton of weapons at his disposal. But just as – no confidence whatsoever part of that is because not understanding the scheme the way he needs to, the lack of an uh, offensive line. And if you don't know your scheme and you're struggling with your offensive line, it really doesn't matter how good your skill position guys are. If you can't get them the ball and and space and, and timing and all those kinds of things. And, um, Virginia's averaging 14.4 points per game in ACC play. No, excuse me against FBS competition. Uh, (laughs) I mean that's that's phenomenal.
2: As as Jason rebuilds the set, there <laughs> uh, are you back on there. I mean, is, I'm alive, guys. Is the goblins are still in your house?
1: Good lord.
2: I mean, I'm alive. Here's this is an interesting thing I want to know about. and I don't know if I can ask the question coherently. Greg, you mentioned when he was clean last year, he was 90 or whatever. But when he's clean this year, he's only in the 60s. Jason, clean is clean, right? Or is scheme, offensive scheme, huge, especially in college football?
1: Yes. Um, so, again, <laughs> it, it, it's a matter of match between what your talent can do in scheme. Is, any scheme can work with the right personnel. Right. That's the thing. Any, you know, any proven scheme. So you can go out there. I mean, Paul Johnson put up filthy numbers in different years with the right quarterback and the, and the right talent at Georgia tech for that offense. And then you put the wrong, you put a completely different scheme there with those players, with the same players that put up great numbers and they have trouble scoring 20 points a game. They might score 50, with Paul Johnson and 20 with somebody else because the match between the talent and the, and the scheme matters a lot. So that's part of it. The other thing though, is that, you know, talent has to be, you have to have enough talent that your guys can actually uh, be reliable uh, winning one-on-ones and doing some of the things that you need to do in modern football. And you also have to be able to block, and that's the biggest problem that Virginia's had this year, honestly. Uh, and Greg, I haven't looked at it, but you've got a, you've got the numbers right in front of you. What what's the what's the pressure rate that he's facing, or, or what? Or how different are his numbers in, against actual pressure? Because that's the thing; it's not even a matter of blitz. I want to know what his numbers are against pressure, and I, I can pull it up. But you've got it right in front of you.
0: Yeah, so under pressure, which is about forty percent of his dropbacks, which is a lot. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, Forty-six percent or forty-six grade, but he's completing forty-six percent of his passes. Uh, three touchdowns, seven interceptions. And last year, what was the percentage of pressure? Twenty-six. Huge he had difference. His, yeah, seventy-seven point five grade there. Forty-five uh, percent completion rate, but zero interceptions. I think, which is the big number there.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you are if you are looking at almost a twenty percent increase in in, in pressure rate so that's not even a matter of like teams are blitzing that's just a matter of teams are actually making him uncomfortable in the pocket or making him pull it and have to scramble or whatever that it that's not just about those plays either because when a quarterback gets into the habit of just he's constantly under duress even when those guys aren't there if you're if every other and that's almost almost 50 of the snaps he's <laughs> that he drops back he's under pressure Those other 50% when you're not under pressure, you you're still looking for it. You're still feeling it because it's there all the time. So I think that's the other thing is that match between scheme and talent matter. And I've gotten the impression in watching, watching Virginia this year, that there's a mismatch between what they want to do and what they've got on the roster. But the other thing is when you watch them, they can't block a soul. So, you know, that that combination is going to lead to some pretty bad overall offensive results.
2: So how does Greg? How does Gene Chizik take advantage of those numbers? People in the chat are saying, "Well, Chizik doesn't doesn't blitz or whatever," which I I'd, I'd probably argue that a little bit, um, especially lately. But how do you, how do you if Gene Chizik is sitting in his office looking at the same numbers you're looking at? What's he do on Saturday?
0: Well, I don't think you need to send a, a ton of pressure. I mean, maybe one extra person because you, you do have to protect yourself on the back end. Uh, but as Jason said, they struggled to, to block you know, just four guys. Uh, and when you, when you add a blitzer in there, it really kind of gets them out of sort. And look, we've talked a lot before, Tommy. If you can get a negative play, that really changes the d- dynamic of what an offense can do. Uh, and so you, I think Gene will, will be conservative here. Uh, but also think he understands that you can really get this game going the wrong direction for Virginia if you're able to have some success and able to get to Brennan and, and make him – make some bad decisions. We, we know he's a good quarterback. This is kind of all in his head right now. And you want to take advantage of that, and, but you don't want to get burned on the back end because everybody remembers what he did last year. I mean, 550, what, three yards, school record against UNC. Um, he's capable. The, the, the thing I want to point out though, I mentioned matchups matter. Uh, Virginia is not a, a very good offensive team, as we've discussed, but we've talked a lot about the, the bend, don't break aspect. Virginia ranks 125th nationally in red zone touchdown percentage at 40%. Now, we, we can play with stats a little bit, and uh, that number sounds bad, but if you have a ton of red zone attempts, all right. I mean, you, you can live with that, right? Virginia Dutton, Virginia's 93rd with 27 attempts. It's so not only are they rarely getting into the red zone, they're not actually scoring touchdowns when they get there. Uh, when you're going against a Gene Chiswick defense, I mean, he's got to be just salivating because you, North Carolina uh, has been pretty good in terms of limiting what teams do once they get into the red zone. And so I, I think that just sets up very well for Carolina. And as long as you limit those explosive plays – and that's why I say he understands he he can get to Brennan and make some game-changing plays. But as long as you don't really screw up down the field and you make Virginia march, they've proven they're going to have a really hard time scoring enough points to to match what Phil Longo and and Drake May and those guys are trying to put up.
2: A lot of bend don't break. Jason, last week everybody talked about putting Carolina's corners on an island – and sending the house to stop the run against Pittsburgh we saw in the first half at Pitt especially um, why
1: that wasn't ideal Um, but they they stuck with it that's the thing it was ideal because you're willing to give up those long plays for a few of them as long as they don't run the football on you and control that game the way that they wanted to they gave up some big plays that's fine but how many of those big plays went for scores
2: and that was due to Slovis just not being very good.
1: At exactly. Least very and big. that's what you counted on is okay, even if they hit those big plays, you're still going to have a chance in the red zone. And with Slovis, he's probably going to miss a few of them eventually. And guess what? In the second half, he did. Oh. And so that's that was the that was the dice roll that you're going to take is you know what? Well, you might you might win four or five of these. They might lead to 28 31 points that's fine but we are not going to let you be two dimensional and make it easy on you we're going to force that quarterback who we think you know you might get 5 of them but if you throw 10 that that's going to require that you throw 10 or 12 of them with that quarterback and if you know you throw 11 of those to get 5 of them well we'll 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 take it but you're not you're not scoring on those other five drives cuz now you're in long yardage so you're willing to take that. You're willing to make that exchange. This week, I think it's the exact opposite. Like Greg said, when you've got a team that's struggling in the block as much as they are, then the one thing that you don't want to give up is big plays, especially with Armstrong actually being able to throw the football pretty well. I mean, he's shown that he can do it. I mean, what, he had 550 yards against Carolina last year. What you want to do against this team is, all right, let's see if you can run it on us. Yep. You know, have fun with that, and then once you're in, uh, you know, second, second eight, and third, and third and ten, let's see if uh, let's see if you can actually complete the pass against our, you know, drop seven or drop eight, while these three guys are gonna are gonna get pressure on you, despite the fact that you're keeping five guys in, six guys in to, to protect. When teams can't block you actually need to bring less pressure because you usually can get that kind of pressure without, without blitzing. That That's what gives you the advantage. You can keep that extra guy or two in coverage.
2: Don't let them off the hook with that's easy right. big play. Yep. So folks that are wondering, Jason said, do the exact opposite of what Carolina did last week, force Virginia to run the ball or try to run the ball and don't let Armstrong get hot. You know, we talked about confidence and all with the quarterback and not figuring it out and couldn't get it. Uh, said the same thing about Tyler Van Dyke um, going into that game, too, and he had a pretty good game and hadn't had one since. Um, we'll see how it works. Before I switch off the defense, let me ask one question. George Jenkins' question has been laying out here. And, and, Jason, give us the nutshell version. Jason, can you talk about the power end? heard a lot of that mentioned now that Noah Taylor and Des Evans and all these guys are out. Uh, Just sort of break down that position in this North Carolina defense.
1: Yeah, the the thing to remember is that Carolina is running a kind of a hybrid front. So most modern defenses are not true four-down or three-down defenses. Most modern defenses have three bigger defensive linemen, so kind of two big defensive tackle types. And then a third that's often a hybrid between a defensive tackle and a defensive end that's going to be the power end or the big end on one side. And, and that guy's oftentimes going to be put on a side where his job is more to set the edge and to be more of a run stopping type defensive end. And then on the other side, you have the rush end or the Jack, or, you know, there's any number of things that you call that guy. And I have, I have to keep it straight every time I, you know, talking about a different team, because every team has their own thing. You got the bandit back going back to Vic Coning days is the same position. And the other end is that it's basically a rush end where that guy is a hybrid between a defensive end and an outside linebacker. And he might put his hand on the ground sometimes. He might be in a two-point stance sometimes. If you're going to drop a guy in coverage, that's more likely to be the guy that's going to drop if he zone blitz or if you you know, drop eight in coverage, that sort of thing. Uh, but the power end is basically, again, the guy that's going to be able to, to hold up a little bit more. He's you know usually north of 265 area. And uh, and and is going to be carrying more uh, of a run stopping role in that defense. That's what he does. And, we're think- and, and
2: Ritzy is the guy that slides to that. Yeah. So everybody understands how it works. You're right about all the different names. It's funny to me. And,
1: and Jacoby Cowan is another guy that 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 can play that position. And you know they they recruited him really to play that position as much as any.
2: Good deal. Let's talk about the offense. It's about, ooh, good gracious, time flies when it's fun, boys. Uh, Let's talk about Virginia's defense against Carolina's offense. We know what to expect from North Carolina. We can talk about that a little bit. But let me pop up a question. Uh, Greg, you've got the numbers in front of you. Michael Daniels says, (laughs) what is UVA defense good at? Uh, If I said that in front of my pops, he would slap me upside the head with that dangling preposition out there. Uh, but, Mike, we get the question absolutely. Greg, what did the numbers
0: say? Well, Virginia, the fact that they've made the turnaround they have has been quite impressive. But Virginia has kind of made their hay uh, with being really good in the red zone uh, and been, being really good in coverage. Past defense is, is fantastic. Uh, but they kind of give up some at the front. Uh, they're, they're not great against the run. Uh, and they're 13th in the ACC in tackles for loss. They've only got 45. Um, so they, they haven't been able to get a a ton of pressure, although they do have a a good number of sacks, but they haven't been able to get a a lot of wins at the line of scrimmage, especially against the run. Um, but as I said, you, with the, the red zone defense part of things for Gene Chizik, the opposite applies as well. And if North Carolina, uh, wants to turn this into a blowout, they've got to capitalize in the red zone. Because North Carolina ranks fifth nationally in red zone touchdown percentage at 80.6%. That's incredible. Virginia counters, however, uh, they rank eighth nationally in red zone touchdown uh, defense and only allowing touchdowns on 42% of those opportunities. So that, that's really what you want to be looking for. When Carolina gets into the red zone, who wins those battles? The only way Virginia stays in this game is if they make North Carolina kick more field goals and score touchdowns in the red zone. Virginia's been very good with that. Uh, But I think this is really a game that, that plays the Phil Longo's advantage. Once again, yeah, you got Drake. We know that. But Virginia has shown a propensity to want to do a good job kind of limiting passes down the field. So Carolina will be able to run the ball somewhat effectively. At least they should. Um, if you let Carolina run the ball and give Drake May a lot of second shorts and third shorts, uh, good luck to you. <laughs>
2: it, it sounds like Virginia may in fact have a been don't break defense. They really Jack-
0: do. And they right now they're
1: number two in the country in number of plays given up over 30 yards. Only Iowa has given up fewer plays over 30 yards. And I'm guessing Iowa and having given up 30 or given up four, plays over 30 yards I bet you their offense has even fewer than that <laughs> but Virginia has only given up six plays over 30 yards on the season so I mean impressive. that's that's pretty good I mean by comparison I mean North Carolina you know you get you get complaints about North Carolina playing Ben but don't break Carolina's given up 16
2: so Virginia's giving up six big plays or over 30 yards so last week Jason I put you in Chiswick's office doing a game plan for the defense. What's what's Carolina's offense? Offensive game plan here going up against this Virginia defense.
1: Patience, patience, patience. Everything and what I'm preaching to Drake May all week is take what they take whatever's there, take it right away, take what they're going to give you. Don't try to force the issue. You know, if 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 you if in doubt on the RPO type stuff, hand it off. Just this gets back to, you know, the idea that if you're going to play this kind of, the, the, the te- a team with this kind of offense, one of the things that you have to, you have to, you know, kind of do in playing complementary football is you have to realize, like, do we need to score 40 to beat this team? Right? That's That's something that as an offensive coordinator, yeah, you want to score 45, you want to score 50 every game. At the same time, if you're playing against a team like this that hasn't scored over 20 in an ACC game yet, you go, okay, look, you tell your quarterback, look, as long as we don't turn the football over, as long as we don't get stupid, we're fine. We're going to score points. So take care of the football. Take what's there. Be happy You know, taking a five-yard gain if it's there. Just keep giving your guys a chance, and you're fine. So I'm, I am very much running the football if I'm Phil Longo in this game. I'm emphasizing the run game as I'm able. I'm running a lot of my, you know, base quick game in the passing game, giving Drake May throws that he's really comfortable with that are not putting the ball in jeopardy. And just, it's okay, it's okay to punt a couple times in this game. What you can't do is turn the football over. You turn the ball over and, and you bring this team into the game. If you don't turn the ball over, I don't think Virginia can beat you.
0: Tommy, as an extension of that, I'm curious to see how aggressive Mac is on those fourth and shorts. Because to Jason's point, I mean, if you've got the ball at midfield and your defense is playing okay, and maybe you've got a lead. You know, if you don't get that fourth down, now you're giving Virginia a big boost offensively. But if you go ahead and kick it and they've got to go 90, 85 yards, uh, there's pretty good chance they're going to kick it right back to you and you're going to have even better field position. So um, not to go completely conservative, but I don't know that there's the, the sense that this team has had at times in Boone, against Notre Dame, against Duke, where you have to score every single possession. So I think Jason's spot on accurate with those comments. Uh,
2: Jeff asked a question. So Mac needs to kick field goals and take the points this week, I think. It might be the case, right, Greg?
0: I do. I I think you want to build a lead. A, a two possession lead in this game is going to seem like a lot. I mean, it's like it's almost like playing Virginian basketball, right? I mean, if you got an eight point lead, it's it's massive.
2: So I want to get to the predictions, but there's a question that's been laying out there that I want to get both your takes uh, on here, and it's it's kind of a long one, and it's probably going to jack up the formatting here, but I'm gonna throw it up here. Alan Mullinax, ask, and Greg, you can hit it first. First 46, and I'm trusting oh, 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 these oh, numbers. Oh, oh. Are, I'm trusting that these numbers are accurate because I freely admit I haven't looked, but it sounds good. Mac and Larry Fedora, both 28 and 18 in their first 46. What's the biggest differences between the two eras? Greg, you covered both extensively.
0: Well, Larry Fedora – uh was very open about it privately and he even acknowledged it a bit publicly. But Carolina should have won a lot more than eight games in 2012. And why? Because he had a lot of really good talent. Uh, I mean, I, you know, that 2013 defense was really good because they had guys like Kareem Martin. Uh, and so Fedora walked into a situation. Yes, it was an incidentally investigation. Yes, he had a lot to deal with. So give him a lot of credit for that. But he had a lot of weapons at his disposal. And while Fedora did a good job uh, recruiting offensively throughout his tenure, other than quarterback, which really hurt him the last couple of years, uh, when Mac came in, there wasn't much there at all defensively. But they, they had some good pieces offensively. They just needed to get a quarterback. You know, Sam Howell comes in and you're off to the races. So Fedora had a lot more talent at his disposal. Mac has not. Um, I, those are the main things for me. What, what you got, Jason?
1: Yeah, you hit on most of what I would say is, and, and that's that, for the most part, Fedora treaded water from when he got on campus through those first few years. Uh, you know, that that first year, like you said, he came in and they, I, I will go to my grave thinking that that 2010 team should have played in the national championship. They had that much talent.
0: Tommy Thickpins agrees with you.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that team, that 2010 team, but for some stupid social media stuff, I think plays in the national championship. They had that level of talent on campus. And a lot of those guys were still around in 2012. Like you said, Uh, the biggest difference to me between Mac and Larry is not just recruiting quality, but it's recruiting priorities. And the thing that mac does is he puts a premium on recruiting the line of scrimmage that's where that's where they've brought in a ton of bodies if you look at this roster versus the roster that that larry had his what i guess this would be fourth year uh or this is fifth year, fifth year now i can't even remember i'm getting this old is fourth year yeah fourth. yeah this is fourth year um in larry's fourth year if you looked at if you compared the defensive line Just if you had him walk off the bus and then you had Max guys walk off the bus, they look real different. And the same thing on the offensive line, actually, generally, Larry did a pretty good job recruiting the offensive line, but I think there's more overall offensive line talent on this roster than there was in 2012. So I think the overall line of scrimmage talent is the biggest difference between the two. Uh, And I think Mac has been more committed to playing complementary football Though, I think both programs, both Mac and Larry, have had some issues having the the level of physicality and um, buy in on that side of things to really take the next step as a program. And you know, we'll see if Mac is able to kind of get over the hump on that. But yeah, those those would be the things that I would say the biggest are the biggest differences.
2: Yeah, and Tommy just point about the recruiting priorities is, is a big one. Go ahead, Greg.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say this looking at the 2015 depth chart, which I had handy for some reason. Uh <laughs> that starting defensive line was uh junior non defensive end, Mikey Bart at defensive end, uh Nazir Jones, who was a sophomore that year. Good player. And then Tyler Powell, uh, and Jeremiah Clark, who was a redshirt freshman. So uh some some good guys there, some young guys on the interior, and then I think on the end, uh, guys that battled, but they weren't uber talented guys by any stretch. Certainly not like what North Carolina has right now.
2: I remember, didn't Chizik say, uh, "Mikey Barks, my favorite player because he's available."
0: His his best best ability best. is availability. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: I remember that when they dealt with all those injuries and stuff. It's been fun. That if that it, is it, a.
0: The best part of that, Tommy, was the question, what do you like about Mikey Bart? <laughs> well, he's available. <laughs> Lord have mercy.
2: <laughs> that speaks to it right there. I, I mean, <laughs> those guys, uh, hey, 11-1 and one in the regular season um, and probably should have been 12-1 and one after the ACC championship game. I try not to think about those days, but that Baylor game, I still think it was closer than it looked, Greg. remember us having that article that (laughs) argument that
0: that was a
1: it may be closer than it looked but it looked really really distant so i mean that's a pretty that's a pretty low bar you're setting there tommy
2: (laughs) but shout out to alan mullinax for a great question a good way to end the podcast Uh, we try to work everything in for you guys and uh like i said the iron 285. Our, we need to iron 300 to get in here next time. But it's been fun. It's been the game plan. Podcast. Are we doing the
1: predictions?
2: I'm not going out of here without predictions because I love getting y'all guys on the record because I'm on the record this year and I'm claiming it. Jason, what happens on Saturday?
1: North Carolina is going to win the football game. Uh, only question is how many how many points how many points uh, handicap have to get assigned to carolina because this is mac brown in 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 charlottesville
0: good question yeah
1: there is no curse don't believe in curses
0: that's that's the real question question.
1: so i'm gonna go with a uh with a 14 point handicap for mac brown in charlottesville (laughs) and i think carolina still wins this game i'm gonna go with uh relatively low scoring game compared to what Carolina's been playing in but still enough points scored uh, that that Drake mays gonna you know get his you know four four scores and 70 yards sort of thing um <laughs> he's uh I- I'm gonna go with uh, let's say 38 uh, Carolina let's say uh, we'll go 38 to 38 to 12.
2: Twelve. Like is that, a, is that a is that a touchdown, a field goal, and a safety? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, I'm just going with twelve because I know I know Virginia has not scored a touchdown in their last two ACC games. So I'm I'm trying not to put up you know multiples of seven up there because I, I'm not so sure about that.
2: Over under own touchdowns, Virginia scores, Greg.
0: Well, they haven't uh, they haven't given up a touchdown since October eighth. I don't think. Yeah, it works both um, ways, folks. It does. It does. Um, yeah, as as we said earlier, Virginia's averaging 14 points per game against FBS opponents. On the flip side, they're only allowing 22 points per game. Granted, they haven't seen a, a Drake May led offense quite yet. So I, I think it's just going to be difficult. And the only way Virginia keeps this close um, is if the curse comes back in roaring fashion and there's a bunch of turnovers. Go back to 96, Carolina had that one in hand, and just a really bad turnover changed the game. So it can happen. Uh, I don't think it will happen. I think Carolina has kind of learned to play on the road, and they they are playing better uh, defensively. So I think this is one of those where maybe it's closer than people like at halftime, but Carolina is able to pull away in the second half and and win comfortably. Uh, I'm going to go 34-17 North Carolina.
1: Yeah, so you and I are on the same same page in terms of I was looking at the the Louisville game as the uh as sort of the this game will probably look something like that game and Louisville won thirty four to seventeen. I just don't think they'll they'll score seventeen with the way they've been playing offensively.
2: Look, my son's first game was seven to five in Keenan Stadium. Uh,
0: I'll grow, baby.
2: Yeah, and the only thing he remembers is the flyover. Um, I remember the game. That was probably the best part of that afternoon. (laughs) It was was the best flyover they've ever had. I think Carolina, uh, to your point, has learned to win on the road, and this team uh, will handle business, the title of this podcast. North Carolina needs to handle business. I think they will handle business. Not picking a score because there's no pictures on the scoreboard. It's just W's and L's. And so Carolina gets to eight and one (laughs) last, uh, last question before we get out of here, who y'all got Tennessee or Georgia, Jason, Georgia, Georgia, I might be contrarian. No, it's at Georgia. Yeah. I'll take Georgia, Alabama, LSU,
0: Bama, Bama.
1: But that one, that one I'm more, I think LSU has a better shot of beating Bama than, than Tennessee does Georgia.
2: Yep. I agree. Florida state, Miami
1: jason i'm going with, i'm going with fsu but closer than the experts think
0: miami's good defensively but yeah I, I, that offense is uh
1: i don't think fsu is going to get the miami team that's played the last couple weeks that'll be a rivalry game and, yeah. and they're going to have to go out and actually win that game
0: yeah. where is it is it
2: at
1: Miami? it's, or a, it's at doke south so in miami okay <laughs> well
2: i said the orange bowl. um that's a cool stadium, by the way. It was a very fun trip. All right, boys, let's get out of here. It's 10-10 on Thursday night. It's been the Game Plan Podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Somebody asked earlier, um, if all these things happen, does Carolina get to the playoffs? Uh, there's a game Saturday. Don't worry about that game Saturday. Today, Carolina's in the college Not impossible players.
1: at this stage. When you got Drake May in your pocket, things happen. You, you got a shot. You got a puncher. I was, I was on another podcast this week that asked me about this. And I said, you know what? Uh, North Carolina is like that boxer who has the super powerful, you know, right hand or left hand who, you know, might not be the best boxer. You know, you got to have defense for that, but in terms of being able to, you know, potentially win any, any matchup, you land that right hand and they could potentially knock anybody out. And that Drake may is that,
0: and he's got three, second half comebacks in the last six games that, that's strong for the young man as well beyond just the stats
2: yeah it's a, a, a crazy run but i gotta talk to you off the air jason did you cheat on us
1: this week no this is this was another <laughs> this was another thing they uh they um they, <laughs> they, they know I do. Um, they, they, we talked about all sorts of stuff all the way down to jimbo fisher at, at texas a&m and and uh, uh, North Carolina came up on there. So, uh, if anything, we we may have pulled a, f- a few folks over from them.
2: All right. Yeah, they were uh, – I loved hearing Lane Kiffin talking to his prefer- press conference saying he's going to dress up like a clown, he guesses. All right, he, I'm getting right. out of here. Yeah. <laughs> he is hilarious. <laughs> All right, boys, it's been a game plan. Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Appreciate everybody joining us. Appreciate us uh, inside Carolina live, I guess, at whew, 9 o'clock Saturday morning, live from CHL Studios. Carolina kicks off at 12 noon in Scott Stadium. We'll be back at 8 a.m. on Sunday with with the day after. Y'all take care.